So, now it turns out that the shooting that we saw in Georgia yesterday that we talked about may not have been racially motivated. Of course, we still have to go through the courts and listen to myself talk. Give me just a second. We still have to go through the courts and figure out whether or not that the new argument stands up in court and the guy still has a chance to make his case in front of a courtroom. So we will see what happens there. In other news, uh, another shooting happened in Tennessee and another one that's up closer to my neck of the woods. So we'll talk just a bit about that. The Biden administration puts up policies that ships thousands of jobs overseas out of Ohio and lowers the cap for which people are going to get taxed on by half, so we'll talk just a bit about that. And Morgan Stanley becomes the first major U.S. bank to offer client access to Bitcoin. It's going to be all this and more. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Folks, good morning and welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today here. It's going to be kind of a, a weird day, a little bit of a smattering of things, including probably a good half of the show talking about just all the shootings that happened, or attempted to happen, by the way, across the country as well. But before we get started, well, before we get even into selling of the wares, I wanted to show you guys uh, this little guy right here. I found this yesterday, and I promised uh, Massanthrope here that... I would put this up on because I thought it was funny enough to show you guys here. Uh, this is your reminder to put your mask on here. And, uh, I mean, if you just look at the face of the dude here, if you're listening back on audio, you're missing out very, very big on this one. But if you look at the face here, this is a dead ringer for uh, for our good friend NPC Wojak over there. I thought you guys would enjoy that here. Uh, Massanthrope tweets out, They're just laughing at the NPCs now. Hey, like I said... This is an extended game of Fauci says at this point. So Fauci says, put on the mask. You better put on the mask. Take the mask off. Oh, I didn't say Fauci says. All right. And before we get into any of the rest of the news, then on this point, head on over and check out my friends over at the Freedom Scoop Media Group. We will be premiering the new website on the charity stream coming up on April 17th. So make sure you guys come and hang out for that. I've actually got a couple of guests confirmed already here. Looks like we might see us some Harvey McLeod on that charity stream. The Gen Gap guys have both said they're going to come in. Steven says he's going to possibly do a song if we raise enough money for this. So he will, just like we did on, uh, what was it, the... It was another stream that we did. I don't remember if it was the one for Frontline Workers or if it was... I think it was the one, yeah, it was the one for frontline workers because it was right after the commie coup started and right after Bernie Sanders dropped out. So, because uh, he did the no refund song, he is going to write a song, possibly. We haven't made a confirmation yet. If we get to a certain amount that day, he'll go write a song on the fly. So we will see what happens there. Definitely looking forward to that coming up as well. Got some other confirmations here. Um, there may or may not be a Brian Nichols over here. He might be doing a pre-recorded segment, so we'll talk about that. Fritzcast says he's interested. I've got a lot of people interested and a couple confirmations, so definitely hope to see you there on April 17th. Midnight to midnight. I don't take attendance. I don't expect everybody to be there for 24 hours, but I will be here for 24 hours, so 
Carve out a little bit of time in your day. Come and hang out with us and help us support a good cause. We will find a good charity for suicide prevention. Definitely looking forward to that. Otherwise, you can go over to freedomscoop.com and bookmark the page. And while you're uh, while we're waiting to be constructed, you can check out The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The Freckles and Brit Show, and The R-Rated Conservative. All right. Looking in at the finance for the day here, the Dow went up midday after kind of sitting and hanging Steady throughout the day. It looked like it wasn't going to go one way or the other throughout the majority of the day. And then it just kind of had a spike towards the end of the day, ending the day at 33,015.37 points. So that's what we see for that here. Uh, Bitcoin went up, which I kind of knew it was going to go up here because apparently Cash App is giving out Bitcoin if you shout out a certain hashtag. So with more of it going out there and more people having it in their hands, the value is going to go up because now people are going to want to trade it back and forth. So we had a little bit of a good day over on the Bitcoin. If you bought the dip, definitely looking forward to seeing what happens with that. All right. And gas in Madison, Wisconsin here. The Costco in Sun Prairie, still the low price leader up there, but uh, the low price leader, that's eight cents higher than it was when we started doing the segment here. It has gone up here. It's kind of leveling out with everybody else here. We are still sitting at 255 as the average for the Madison area. And of course, it's still higher down here where I live. So gas is still going to go up. So we'll continue to watch that. Looking in at the IBD from Investors Business Daily. Dow Jones futures, tech futures tumble as treasury yields spike on inflation fears. Two stocks are breaking out. Hmm, that's weird. I was informed that I was a dangerous conspiracy theorist if I suggested that inflation was going to come in the near future, especially given the fact that we've spent $4 trillion on COVID spending and barely any of it's gone into the people's hands where it can get spent out. Most of it's gone to the big, nameless, faceless corporations where it's kind of just going to sit there. Hmm, it's weird. It's almost like I... Like I warned people of that. From Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures were a little changed early Thursday, while S&P 500 futures fell solidly, and NASDAQ futures tumbled as the 10-year Treasury yield moved above 1.7% for the first time since January of 2020. That comes amid concerns that the Federal Reserve and other central banks will let inflation pick up too fast. Weird. It's like I warned you about that. It's it, This is so weird. I feel like I warned people of that, but I feel like, like I said at the top of the article, I feel like I was told that I was anti-government. Well, I kind of am, but like I was just some nut job conspiracy theorist when I suggested that inflation was going to go up, gas prices were going to go up, and your gallon of milk is going to be 15 bucks. That might be an exaggeration, but you see where I'm going with this. That is a reversal from Wednesday when a dovish Fed meeting, policy statement, and comments from Fed Chief Jerome Powell spurred a stock market rally at the Dow Jones hit a record high. Hmm. So you're saying the Fed is trying to manipulate the stock market in a positive way? Possibly because they want to see the stock market rise under a certain president? Hmm. The Dow Jones hit a record high, while the Nasdaq reversed higher as Treasury yields paired sharp gains. 
Williams-Sonoma, five below, and Upstart Holdings headlined key earnings after the close. Meanwhile, Translate Bio and Lordstown Motors also moved on news. The 10-year Treasury yield jumped 9 basis points to 1.73% as the day two reactions to the Fed meeting was a lot different than on Wednesday. On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve signaled it won't release, uh, start rate hikes before 2024. Unchanged from before, Fed Chief Jerome Powell said it's not time to talk about tapering the central bank's big asset purchases. That's despite more bullish economic forecasts as coronavirus restrictions wane and stimulus checks go out from the new $1.9 trillion spending package. The Fed sees 2.4% inflation this year, but cooling to 2% in 2022. Hmm, that's odd. It's an election year. Hmm. No, that's, that's just a coincidence. The Fed has a 2% inflation target, but says it's okay with price increases exceeding that level for a short time. The 10-year Treasury yield hit 1.69% before the Fed meeting announcement. The 10-year Treasury ended up 2 basis points to 1.64%, slightly below uh, where it was before the 2 p.m. Eastern Time Fed announcement. But while the Fed's calm over inflation soothed investors on Wednesday, that didn't last long. If the Fed isn't worried about inflation, bond traders will, with commodity prices high and U.S. retail gasoline prices now up for 46 straight days. Some underlying inflation pressures are bubbling up. On the futures, Dow Jones futures was flat versus fair value. S&P 500 futures fell 0.6%. NASDAQ 100 futures plunged 1.65%. The NASDAQ composite will likely test its 50-day moving average again. Remember, overnight action in Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. It's so weird. It's like this has been warned about. And there's I got some other stuff sitting up here that I've warned about too, so... Definitely some stuff going on here. Definitely some stuff to see and definitely some stuff that's going to happen. Let's read from CNBC. Continue without supporting. Yes, sir. S&P 500 futures fall as 10-year bond yield surges to 14-month high. From Yoon Lee and Thomas Frank. Futures contracts tied to the S&P 500 dipped early Thursday, pressured by tech shares as a spike in bond-fueled fears of equity valuations and caused investors to sell high flyers. S&P 500 futures fell 0.8% and NASDAQ 100 futures uh, dropped rather 1.8%. Dopped. That's not a word. Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Facebook all slid at least 1% in pre-market trading. Tesla slipped more than 2%. Dow Jones Industrial Average futures traded flat. The move in futures came as the 10-year Treasury yield jumped 10 basis points to 1.74%, its highest level since January of 2020. The 30-year rate also climbed 6 basis points and breached the 2.5% level for the first time since August of 2019. Rising bond yields can have an outsized impact on growth stocks as they make their futures returns less valuable today. Investors will monitor the latest jobless claims due to uh, Thursday morning 
Economists polled by Dow Jones were expecting a total of 700,000 first-time unemployment benefits filers in the week ending March 13th, down from 712 in the week prior. But still, almost a million jobs going away. As we sit here and look at the fact that, and I will talk about the fourth thing too, almost a million jobs a week going away. The blue chip Dow closed above 33,000 for the first time on Wednesday after the Federal Reserve said it does not expect to hike interest rates through 2023. That's probably going to change too. Fed Chair Jerome Powell reiterated that central bank wants to see inflation consistently above its 2% target and material improvement in the U.S. labor market before considering changes to rates or its monthly bond purchases. The key message from Wednesday's Fed meeting is that the committee expects to be extraordinarily accommodative for a very long time to come, even as the economic outlook brightens, wrote Eric Winograd, senior economist at AB. Keep printing that fucking money, then. Just keep promising it, keep giving it away for next to nothing, and keep printing it out there, and, well... Let's ask Venezuela what happens about that there. So... That's what we have on finance today. It looks like if you've got a 401k, it's going to drop coming up here at the near future. And what you do get back out of your 401k is going to be worth less. It's weird. It's like I warned you about this. All right, let's see what's in the main news of the day. We're going to start off with this big shooting here. But, of course, today we've got to start with NPR because... They were the ones that had the top story here, but we've got a couple things to look at for this particular story here, including some things that are on the side, but NPR is going to be your one source for the top news that's going on with this, and remember, they need your donations. National Progressive Radio is funded in part by viewers like you. This is from Lisa Hagen. Sex addiction cited as spurring spot shooting, but most killed were of Asian descent. Because NPR has got to tell you that's all about race at this point here. There's an interesting conversation in the Discord that's linked in the description below between uh, Seawall, our resident mod, and Midget B, Brain Damage over there, talking about the fact that there were actually several mass shootings that happened over the weekend. And I've got a couple of them sitting up here to talk about, but uh, there were several of them up there, and this is the only one that's really getting talked about here. Georgia authorities say the suspect in Tuesday's Atlanta spa shootings claimed sex addiction and that he wasn't racially motivated, though six of the eight killed were women of Asian descent. Mary Louise Kelly, host in Atlanta, investigators are piecing together what drove 21-year-old man allegedly to shoot and kill eight people yesterday. The string of shootings happened at three massage parlors in the metro Atlanta area. Six of the dead were women of Asian descent. Two others were white. Lisa Hagen of member station WAVE is following developments and joins us now. Hey, Lisa. Hi, Mary. What more have we learned about the suspect and why he allegedly did this? Well, he told police that he identifies as a sex addict, which you're not allowed to question how a person identifies, you bigot. He told investigators that he wanted to get rid of what he saw as temptations that were haunting him. Here's Cherokee County Captain Jay Baker. And of course, they don't have the recording up here, the soundbite of it. Oh, no, I'm sorry, yes, they do. 
He claims it was not racially motivated. He apparently has an issue, what he considers a sex addiction, and sees these locations as something that allows him to go into these places, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. So Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms said that if he hadn't been apprehended, he would have continued down to Florida. That was his plan, to commit more violence against the, quote, porn industry. Police say his parents turned him into what they saw, surveillance images of him exiting the first shooting site, and then they helped catch him because they were able to track his cell phone, which showed the authorities where he was. When police arrested him, they found a 9mm handgun in his car that they believed was used in the shooting. No word on ammunition. So, I'm wrestling. I suspect a lot of people are with what the suspect said to investigators. As we just heard, he says these killings were not racially motivated. But then there's this inescapable fact that most of those who were killed were women of Asian descent. How are investigators trying to square that? I mean, so far, it's still very early, and investigators say they're looking through his social media and phone for more information about his motive. But of course, yeah, the attack comes at a time of heightened fear in the Asian American community nationally. Atlanta's mayor made sure to note that there had not, uh, not or there has rather not been an uptick in crimes against Asians reported to the Atlanta police. However, she acknowledges that violence has been hitting the Asian American community hard and that she wants it to stop. Whether it's senseless violence that we've seen play out in our streets or more targeted violence like we saw yesterday, a crime against any community is a crime against us all. That was Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. And even though the suspect told police that the killings weren't racially motivated, to many of the people in the community, it still feels that way. We'll stay with that because I know you've been speaking to members of the Asian American community. What are they telling you? You know, hate incidents have been rising for a year. As for people, this feels like a culmination of the violence that we've been seeing nationally. Here's Sue Ann Hong with the Center for Asian Pacific American Women. She said this today. You can't say it's not a hate crime. I have a hard time believing that's not related. And that's where I'm going to cut this article off here because it's just two people sitting back here essentially sniffing each other's farts at this point. <coughs> oh, excuse me. But I mean, what we're seeing from this here, what, uh, what a lot of what we're seeing come back off of this is the fact that NPR is trying to force the narrative down that this was specifically an anti-Asian uh, thing. Because we've been hearing since the beginning of the commie fucking coup that if Donald Trump, and of course it always has to go back to the Donald too. Keep that in mind as well. But if it, I mean, we've got to sit back here and see. It's got to be about race because Donald Trump was the racist in chief. And he empowered all these racists out there. He empowered every racist in the country. And now that he's gone, they want to go and take their revenge or whatever other bullshit they're going to try and peddle to you at this point. Even Salon, and I'll look at this in the next article, is telling you this was not a racially motivated thing. We can sit back and talk about the soft racism of the fact that these, these massage parlors are generally populated by Asian people. But at the end of the day, from what I can see, and once again, this is for a court to determine. I'm just a guy yelling into a microphone. This is for a court to determine. But at the end of the day, it appears that the guy went out and targeted rub and tug facilities rather than the Asians who were working inside themselves. 
So that's what they see from this. Let's read from Salon just to prove what I was saying off of this. Atlanta gunman who killed eight people in Asian spa shooting. Spree says it wasn't racially motivated. This is from Salon, by the way. Salon, who will tell you race is everything in the world. From John Skolnick. A gunman who killed eight people, most of them Asian women, in a shooting spree at three Atlanta-area massage parlors on Tuesday evening told police that he was not racially motivated. Cherokee County Sheriff Frank Reynolds suggested during a Wednesday news conference that 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long, who was turned in by his family following a brief manhunt, frequented these places in the past and may have been lashing out. Uh, according to officials, the attacks began around 5 p.m. when the shooter killed four people at one spa near Ackworth, just north of Atlanta. Young's Asian Massage Cherokee County deputies were called onto the scene where two people were pronounced dead and three were rushed to the hospital. Where two of them later died, one man was reported injured, and about an hour later, Atlanta police responded to reports of a robbery. At Gold Spa in northeast Atlanta, where officers later found three women who had been shot dead. Officers then found the body of a woman who worked at Aromatherapy Spa, another spa just across the street. Atlanta police said Tuesday night that they suspect the shootings are related, but an investigator currently working to confirm the relation, South Korea's foreign ministry told NBC News that four of the women were of South Korean descent, but their identities had not been confirmed. And Georgia Governor Brian Kemp tweeted out, Our entire family is praying for the victims of these horrific acts of violence. Basaki got involved in this, saying that President Biden has been notified overnight about the horrific shootings in Atlanta and said White House officials have been in touch with the mayor's office and will remain in touch with the FBI. Mayor Durkin, on the complete opposite corner of the country, condemned the shootings as an act of hate. Adrian Diaz is taking added precautions to protect Asian American communities in the city, including police patrols. And yeah, at this point, yes, they're just, they're trying to force this down to be an anti-Asian American thing because, you know, look at Donald Trump. Look how horrible he was. It's called the China virus, okay? China. That's what it is. It comes from China. So, of course, this means that somebody out there has to go out and target Asian people, right? Right? I mean, we, we've got to carry this narrative. So, we will see what happens with that as we go along. I've got one from BuzzFeed, because we're just taken from everywhere in the left-wing echo chamber at this point. From BuzzFeed News. The cop who said the spa shooter had a bad day previously posted a racist shirt blaming China for the pandemic. From Stephanie K. Bayer. The Georgia sheriff's official who said the man accused of killing six Asian women and two others in a shooting at spas in the Atlanta area had a bad day previously, shared photos of a racist t-shirt on social media. In a Facebook post from April of 2020, Cherokee County Sheriff's Captain Jay Baker shared an image of t-shirts based off the Corona beer label that says COVID-19 imported from China. Love my shirt, Baker wrote. Get yours today while they last. Baker did not immediately respond to a request for comment, but after BuzzFeed News asked about the shirt, the public Facebook post became unavailable. 
At their press conference about the shootings on Wednesday, police said it was too early to determine if the suspect was motivated by race, but added that the suspect told officials that he had a sex addiction and targeted the businesses because he wanted to take out that temptation. As Director of Communications and Community Relations at the Sheriff's Office, Baker was among law enforcement speakers who gave an update about the investigation, which of course, I'm sure, prompted BuzzFeed and Salon and Vox and everybody else who says, all praise, all hail socialism, all praise, all hail socialism, all the rest of these fucking news outlets that do so, I'm sure HuffPo did the same thing, went out and started scouring the social media of everybody who sat up at the conference because they didn't say the racial thing that these left-wing outlets wanted them to say, so now they have to go find a way to say, see, see, they're just trying to cover up for their own racism. Look at them, look at them. Horrible people, they're racist too. Is This one was a reach at fucking best, I'm sorry. If the guy's coming out and confessing that he was going after hookers, Do an investigation, but I believe him. I really do. Of course, all spas are completely above board, and nobody that works at a spa is a hooker, but, I mean, at this point, if that's, uh, if that's what they're seeing, then that's, I mean, until there's something else that I can, uh, that I can prove otherwise. So that's what we're seeing from that here. We've got a couple others that we have to get to on this one, not just the Asian American shooting, which I'm sure that we're gonna hear tons about coming up here in the near future, because hey, we're trying to pass a gun control agenda. This one is here from my neck of the woods, and I actually used to go by this building all the time. I heard this on the radio on the way to work yesterday. I'm like, really? I can't believe this didn't make national news. From the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Live updates, two people were killed at Roundy's Warehouse in Oconomowoc. Suspect identified as Wauwatosa resident. From Mike Johnson, Elliot Hughes, Christopher Kuhagen, and Sophie Carson. Two employees were killed at a Roundy's Warehouse in Oconomowoc Tuesday night, while the suspect is also dead after a crash in Milwaukee Wednesday morning. Police have so far released a basic timeline of events, but it's still unclear of what exactly happened inside the warehouse and who was involved. The story will be updating with the latest as we have it. So we'll just kind of go over this here. The suspect is identified as Freron Cornelius, 41, of Wauwatosa. The 41-year-old Wauwatosa resident has been identified as a suspect accused of killing two employees at the warehouse in Oconomowoc, according to a police source. The source said that Freron Cornelius was named as the suspect in an email sent to local law enforcement. The suspect was found dead in his car. 1.12 p.m. search warrant taking place at suspect's home in Wauwatosa. So we're working backwards here as we go. Um, 12.47, Evers and other politicians addressed the incident. Governor Tony uh, Evers rather tweeted Wednesday afternoon that our hearts go out to the two workers in Oconomowoc whose lives were taken by gun violence today. Kathy and I are thinking of them, their friends and their family members, and all those affected by this tragedy. Um, Barb Detrick, the local uh, representative, tweeted out about this as well. 11.15 uh, a.m., the roads are reopened near the warehouse, because as you saw the picture at the top of the article, they closed all that off, and yeah, that actually is the road outside of there. 
10.55 a.m., Roundy's releases their statement. Roundy's released a statement after two employees were killed at one of its distribution warehouses in Oconomowoc on Tuesday night. The full statement reads, We are deeply saddened by the incident that occurred last night at our Oconomowoc distribution center. The entire Roundy's family offers our thoughts, prayers, and support to the families of our colleagues during this difficult time. We are cooperating with local law enforcement who have secured our facility. Our distribution center will remain closed while the police investigation continues. We are providing counseling services to our associates. To protect the integrity of the ongoing investigation, we are referring questions to the Oconomowoc Police Department. 10.15 a.m. Roundy's killings come just over a year after the Molson Coors shooting. Yep, remember that one happened. 10 a.m. Police release basic timeline of the events. Union says two employees are killed. That's 9.30 a.m. 9 a.m. Fatal car crash in Milwaukee related to incident. Med uh, medical examiner says. Uh, 5 a.m. Tactical situation at Roundy's Warehouse in Oconomowoc. And that's what we have here. So just from 5 a.m. until 2.30 p.m. we see basically, well, I'm sorry, almost 3 p.m. at this point, basically a timeline of what happened here. They're pretty well sure that the guy that, uh, the guy that was in the crash, that died in the crash, is the guy that did that. But uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's weird to see that I used to drive right by this place. But the same thing with the Molson Coors Brewery, too. I used to drive by there all the time, too. But, I mean, this was real recent. This was, like, within a few months ago, I was driving by this place again. So, definitely something to see here. And I'm thinking this is going to come with the gun control agenda once again here. You know, now that we see these bills like H.R. 8 sitting in Congress, now we're going to start to see a lot more of these pop up and get talked about on national news. So... Definitely something to watch. All right, from the USA Today. Indianapolis quadruple homicide started over argument over stimulus check. Court documents show. From Lawrence Andrea. The man accused of killing three adults and a seven-year-old girl in Indianapolis on Saturday night told police he began shooting everyone inside a home after an argument over a stimulus check. Court records show. Malik Halfakre, 25, was taken into custody a day after police said he shot and killed Anthony Johnson, 35, Dequan Moore, 23, Ava Moore, 7, and Tomika Brown, 44. A survivor of the shooting who says, or I'm sorry, whose family said shared a daughter with Halfakre was shot in the back during an incident and directed police to the residence Saturday night. Hal Thacker has said in an interview with police that he and his daughter's mother were arguing because he wanted some of her stimulus check, according to a probable cause affidavit. He told investigators that after he shot everyone inside the home, he took the money and his daughter's mother's purse and car before leaving. The Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Deputy Chief of Investigations, Craig McCart, on Monday announced Hal Thacker had been preliminarily charged with four counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, and one count of robbery. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we see here, I mean, pff, greed doesn't exist. Of course not. Everybody's just going to get this money and everybody's going to be happy off this. And, you know, once again, people want some more. So we'll be watching this one here. 
This one here I actually got from uh, Matt Christensen's video yesterday, his solo video that he put out. I had not heard about this one either, but found this one interesting as well. Video shows Nashville shootout that left woman dead, officer hurt. Unfortunately, the video for this is not Wojcicki friendly, so I'm not going to play it. For those of you over on YouTube, for those of you who are on the rest of the uh, platforms, I'm still not going to play it, but... Uh, yeah, at this point, uh, yeah, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to get sh uh, shut down on YouTube over this one here. Uh, this is from Megan Sadler. A woman was killed and an officer was injured after a shootout in Nashville on Friday. According to a video press release, the exchange of gunfire occurred the morning of March 12th in the parking lot near Brick Church Pike and Ewing Drive. The video shows a woman who was initially compliant as she offers informed her, I'm sorry, as officers, that does say offers though, as officers informed her she was being stopped due to multiple outstanding warrants, they searched her bag, officers found what they believed to be marijuana. When the officer attempted to place the woman under arrest, the video shows that she avoided the officer until he deployed a stun gun as she sat in the driver's seat of the vehicle. Then the officer can be heard warning the woman to drop her weapon before shots are fired by both the officer and the woman. The woman then drives away from the scene as the officer called for help. <clears throat> MNPD said the officer was hit in the abdomen by a bullet that went under his bulletproof vest. He was hospitalized due to his injuries. The woman later died of her injuries at a nearby hospital. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation is reviewing the officer's use of force according to Tennessee protocol. So, and this is a very, very preliminary article talking about this from the very beginning of this. Uh, Christensen's video had a lot more detail to go with this. So, from what I saw from that, it does appear that, uh, yeah, she, I mean, he stopped her. And this came with body cam footage as well. She was very compliant. Um, she sat down and uh, the officer was super nice to her. He let her sit out on her car and smoke a cigarette while he went through her purse found a powdery substance, um, went to go put her under arrest, and she went belligerent off of this. So, she shot at the cop, and, well, Darwin took its effect. Once again, nobody should be stopped, and we can have the argument. We can always have the argument as to whether or not drugs and what you put into your body should be illegal or illegal, but at this point, she did escalate force. And force was escalated back against her here. And, of course, the uh, Tennessee Bureau of Investigations will determine whether it was justified. And all I can do is yell in the microphone about what I saw from this. And from what I saw from this, it was completely justified. But, once again, we will let the investigators decide and bring it before a court if it needs to come before a court. All right. One more here. Do I have one more? Yeah, I've got one more here on gun violence before we get into the rest of the news of the day. From CNN. Man arrested outside Vice President Kamala Harris's official residence and had rifle and ammunition in the car. From Whitney Wilde and Rayshard Rose. Washington, D.C. police arrested a Texas man outside Vice President Kamala Harris's official residence, the U.S. Naval Observatory in the nation's capital on Wednesday, and he's now facing a weapons and ammunition charge. 
Spokesperson for Washington's Metropolitan Police said officers responded at approximately 12.12 p.m. to the 3400 block of Mass Ave, Northwest in reference to suspicion, or I'm sorry, suspicious person, based on an intelligence bulletin that originated from Texas, who was detained by U.S. Secret Service. Law enforcement contacted the man after a region-wide intelligence bulletin had been issued for the suspect. D.C. police officers say officers arrest and charge 31-year-old Paul Murray of San Antonio and that a rifle and ammunition were recovered from his vehicle. A police report obtained by CNN shows officers allege Murray was in possession of an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle, 113 rounds of unregistered ammunition. Dude, it's Texas. There is no ammunition registration. And five 30-round magazines. According to police, he's been charged with several counts carrying a dangerous weapon, carrying a rifle or shotgun outside of a business, possession of unregistered ammunition, and possession of a large-capacity ammunition-feeding device. The U.S. Secret Service told CNN in a statement that uniformed division officers detained the man before Metropolitan Police arrived on the scene. And what did I say? What did I say before the Capitol Selfie Fest? When so many people were going in and saying that we are gonna we're gonna take the fight to the government if if they don't give us what we want if if they don't give us a free and fair election we're gonna take the fight to them what did I say then? The government is better at killing than you are. If you take the fight to the government, you will wind up. Luckily, this guy didn't wind up deceased. But if you take the fight to the government, you will most likely wind up deceased, or at least arrested in a cage guarded by men who will kill you if you try to get out of that cage. Hunker down. Wait for the government to bring the fight to you. So, way that I've always looked at it here. Yes, I dislike the government. Yes, I think we might be due for a revolution at this point here. No, I'm not going to be the one that brings it. I'm going to sit back down here, hunker down, and when the government wants to bring the fight to me... Then we're going to have an issue. But with thousands of National Guard across all around the mall and all around the rest of Washington, D.C., Capitol Police on edge, you can better fucking bet that I am not bringing the fight to the government. But once again, interesting timing, given the fact that we have H.R. 8 sitting in the House waiting for the Senate to review. All right. So that's what we see from that here. We've got some more stuff to come with. From the New York Post. This is interesting. So you guys remember a little while ago when I mentioned and talked about the fact that Biden came out and said, and he said it just a few weeks ago, and he said it on the campaign trail. Oh, we're, we're, we're going to raise taxes, but, but nobody who makes over $400,000... Nobody who makes under $400,000 is going to be affected. It's, it's only going to be for people who make over $400,000. That, that, that's all it's going to be. Well, the lie detector test determined that was a lie. Biden tax hike could hit people earning $200,000, White House clarifies. I have no idea what we're doing in this video. Hoof shaving, apparently. Why are we massaging a cow? Anyway, 
White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Wednesday clarified that President Biden's proposed tax hike would apply to people who earn $200,000 per year if they are married to someone who makes that amount. Psaki said at her daily press briefing that the proposed $400,000 threshold for tax increases applies to families rather than individuals. The clarification significantly lowers the tax hike threshold announced by Biden in an ABC News interview that aired on Wednesday. Biden's interview statement appears to indicate that the cutoff would be $400,000 on individual income. Yes, anyone making more than $400,000 will see a small to significant tax increase, Biden told George Stephanopoulos. Biden added, if you make less than $400,000, you won't... You won't see one single penny in an additional federal tax, all right? Come on, man. The president acknowledged that an effort to raise taxes is almost certain to be met with uniform opposition from Republicans in Congress. And taxpayers in general. See, they never mention that because they don't give a fuck about you. I, I may not get Republican support, but I'll get the Democrat votes for a tax increase. If if we just took the tax rate back to what it was when George W. Bush was president, when, when the top rate paid 39.6% in federal taxes. And the economy was hemorrhaging jobs left and fucking right. That would raise $230 billion. Yet they're complaining because I'm providing a tax credit for childcare and the poor from the middle class. Democrats hold a slim majority in the House of Representatives and also control the evenly divided Senate because Vice President Kamala Harris breaks ties in Democrats' favor. Number two Senate Democrat Dick Durbin of Illinois this week called for an end to the 60-vote threshold to proceed to votes on most bills calling the procedural filibuster a weapon of mass obstruction. But once again, when McConnell held the Senate, he was all in favor of keeping that filibuster in place. These people don't give a fuck about you. Or anything else for that matter. All they care about is power. And ramming down that donkey dick agenda down your throat. <clears throat> How's the RRC put it? The big blue fucking donkey dick. <laughs> Biden said in the ABC News interview that he would like to reform the filibuster so that senators must speak at length on the Senate floor to stall bills. So... That's where we go with that. Don't worry. It's only going to be those who make over $400,000. All right. In other news. Well, um, Don says he's going to bring all these jobs back. And um, Don, all I, all I got to ask for you is, hey, or, hey man, where's that magic wand that, that you have that says that you can bring all these jobs back. And, and the Donald said, Abracadabra, motherfucker. Well, that's getting reversed too. From the Hill, Union warns Ohio workers that Ford plans to move new vehicle construction to Mexico. From Justine Coleman. UAW warned Ford employees in Ohio that the company plans to move the construction of new vehicles to Mexico, according to a letter made public this week. UAW Vice President Gerald Kariem addressed a letter to Ford workers in an Avon Lake, Ohio, in which he accused the automaker of violating a contract agreement with the union with its plans to build a 
next generation vehicle in Mexico instead of the Ohio assembly plant. The letter sent to, with the uh, union's letterhead cited a 2019 four-year contract deal in which Ford committed $900 million for the assembly plant in Avon Lake, including uh, adding production for a next-generation product in 2023. The UAW said the agreement would secure the OHAP's employment well into the foreseeable future, but that Ford has decided it will not honor its promise. Which is kind of shady in its own right, but given the fact that... Uh, now we're driving costs up, we're driving taxes up, and uh, we're driving every other part foreseeable of the manufacturing process up. It's either this or jack the price on the new vehicles up another 20 fucking grand. Keep that in mind. Like I said, the corporations aren't going to pay the taxes. They're going to pass them on to you. Ford management expects us to just hang our heads and accept the decision, Cariam wrote in the letter dated on Friday. But let me be clear, we are making a different choice. We 100% reject the company's decision to put corporate greed and more potential profits over American jobs and the future of our members, he continued. We expect the company to honor its contractual commitments to this membership, and when it fails to do so, we will take action. Carium wrote that the union has made data requests for an explanation of the decision, but the automaker has only given strategically limited information. We are intensely exploring our options at this time, he wrote in a letter that copied UAW President Rory Gamble and the union's two top lawyers. In response to UAW's letter, Ford plant manager Jason Moore released a letter to Avon Lake workers obtained by News 5 Cleveland noting that the 2019 agreement included a reference to a $900 million investment and a new product for OHAP. And, long story short, at this point, yeah, they're going to ship the jobs overseas. Um, I had an interesting conversation with uh, Legally Bay over on Twitter. Uh, Buffy in NYC, I believe, is the Twitter handle for that one. Go and check her out. Very good follow, too, by the way. But uh, she pointed out the fact, she asks why the unions continue to vote for Democrats. Uh, she said liberals, not Democrats. But why did the unions continue to vote for liberals against their own self-interest? And, you know, I grew up in a union house. I, I don't know why they do it, considering the fact that we continue to see stuff like this. The jobs getting moved out and overseas because the regulations, especially from a Democratic administration, and this goes well on to into the last 20 to 30 years, regulations continue to go up for American workers and American factories, and they don't have the regulations in Mexico, China, India, Bangladesh, Turkey, places like that. And all I can say is, well, this is what was told to me. I have to vote for Democrats because Republicans, the only thing that they want to do is send my father's job overseas. That's what was told to me. Now, I'm looking at situations like this and seeing that that's kind of bullshit at this point, but, you know, that's what was told to me. So, this is going here. Uh, let's see. I gotta flip these here because I gotta do this one next. This one goes along with what we were talking about. From 19 News out of Cleveland, UAW slams Ford for a parent plan to pull massive investment from Ohio Assembly Plant in Avon Lake. Excuse me. From Jim Nelson, 
The United Auto Workers, the union representing the employees at the Ohio Assembly Plant at Avon Lake, slammed Ford in a scathing letter over an apparent plan to pull nearly a billion dollar investment. Unfortunately, Ford Motor Company has decided it will not honor its promise to add a new product to OHAP and instead it intends to build a next generation vehicle in Mexico. Wrote Gerald Cariem, the vice president and director of the UAW's Ford Development uh, Department. Rather. The letter was addressed to the union rank and file and obtained by 19 News. Let me see if we can read this. I don't know. If, it, if it'll be too small print, I'm not going to read it, but I'll make it available for you guys. But let's see what we can do here. Ah, brothers and sisters, at the start of the 2019 UAW Ford negotiations, the union bargaining team determined that its main goal was to increase job security for this great membership. For months, the company and the union held extensive, arduous discussions on the subject, and we focused on maintaining a strong manufacturing presence in the United States. Thanks to the determination of the bargaining committee, your strong, dedicated leadership, this is all propaganda at this point, of Local 2000 and your solidarity. We were able to gain commitments in 2019 for the future of OHAP. The company committed $900 million for your facility. Unfortunately, Ford Motor Company has decided it will not honor its promise to add new products to OHAP, and instead it intends to build the next generation vehicles in Mexico. Ford management expects us to just hang our heads and accept the decision, but let me be clear. We're making a different choice. We 100% reject the company's decision to put corporate greed and more potential uh, profits over American jobs and the future of our members. Uh... We expect the company to honor its contractual commitments to this membership, and when it fails to do so, we will take action. We have submitted data requests to the company, asking them to explain the basis for the decision, but they continue to only provide us with strategically limited information. We are intensely exploring our options at this time, and will keep the members of the Local 2000 informed of our next steps. Even though the situation is rapidly evolving, I feel it is of extreme importance to continuously communicate vital updates associated with the situation. So, both people, both sides of this, are actually looking out for their own self-interest in a way that's very detrimental to the entire argument. I, I've looked at this now. Um, this, is, this was my first time reading the article. But I'm looking at a couple things right now. First and foremost, taxes are going up. Those are going to get passed along to the consumer. Manufacturing costs are going up. Materials costs are going up right now. Labor costs are going up, especially with the thought of a $15 an hour minimum wage and the fact that you know full well the union's going to demand that the line worker that makes $34 an hour has his pay adjusted up to reflect what the new minimum wage is. So if he's making $34, now he's got to make $41. So all of your costs are going to go up off of this. But I also want to point out to the union in this, Ford is <clears throat> Ford is in the wrong for breaking their contract. I will come right out and say, and I will say that wearing a Ford sweatshirt. Ford is in the wrong for breaking their contract. If they signed a contract with the UAW, then yes, they need to honor that. You don't breach a contract. But on the other side, the union also needs to make some concessions in this situation because if the labor costs go up, and whatever this new product that was supposed to be for the working man, which that's what Ford was meant to be from the beginning. It was supposed to be a car for the working man. It was supposed to be a car that the line worker could afford. 
And if that uh, new vehicle suddenly goes up $20,000 in cost and nobody can buy it, the orders don't come in for that new vehicle and nobody buys the goddamn thing. So we've got to do a little bit of give and take here. We've, we've, we've got to come to some middle ground here. But all I'm seeing from this article is both sides are digging their heels in and nobody can come out. I don't want to see these workers lose their jobs. I don't. I really don't. But they're either going to lose their jobs over the fact that nobody's buying the vehicles or they're going to lose their jobs over the fact that they're going to Mexico at this point, given, given the situation that we're sitting in here. So we've got to find some give and take somewhere. We've got to find some give and take somewhere. Now, this was a non-union shop. I would say, okay, well, it's on Ford's discretion. But they did sign a contract. They did sign a legally binding document that said that, yes, we are going to keep these jobs here until 2023. And they signed the contract willingly. So, a couple of different things going on with this. Definitely something to watch for this. But the most important thing that I see off this is the fact that... Uh, it's weird. Biden comes into office and all of a sudden everyone's jumping to get those jobs back overseas. All right. From NBC News. Biden administration limits what Border Patrol can share with media about migrant surge at the border. From Julia Ainsley. The Biden administration is restricting the information Border Patrol agents and sector chiefs can share with the media as a surge of migrants tests the agency's capacity at the southern border, according to four current and two former Customs and Border Protections officials. The officials say the restrictions are seen as an unofficial gag order and are often referred to that way among colleagues. The officials requested anonymity because they're not authorized to speak to the media about the topic. Border Patrol officials have been told to deny all media requests for ride-alongs with agents along the southern land border. Local press officers are instructed to send all information queries, even from local media, to the press office in Washington for approval. And those responsible for cultivating data about the number of migrants in custody have been reminded not to share the information with anyone to prevent leaks, the official said. Most transparent administration in the world. Multiple news organizations, including NBC News, have requested access to or photos from inside the overcrowded border processing facilities holding unaccompanied migrant children. They have been denied. The DHS press office released one photo late Tuesday of a mother and child undergoing a health screening inside a border facility, but no wider shots to show conditions or sleeping arrangements. At the uh, height of the Trump administration's child separation policy, the Clinton administration's child separation policy, in July of 2018, it allowed media to tour facilities where separated children were held. But don't worry, he was trying to cover everything up. The new restrictions have been passed down verbally, not through an official memo, because otherwise it would get leaked out to the public and they would have a paper trail. The official said, The unofficial policy has led some agents at the border to release videos that show mass arrests and surges of migrants without permission from Washington. Two officials said... Gee, I wonder why they don't want anybody coming out and talking about this here because, hey, otherwise the news media can come out and the independent media is going to jump and run with this. The news media is going to continue to cover this up. But if all this stuff starts to get out at this point, and given the fact that, like I said, the news media has evolved from a guy making a million dollars a year sitting in an Armani 
and CNN to a guy sitting in a Ford sweatshirt in a cheap apartment in southern Wisconsin talking to a microphone. Given the fact that the news media has changed in that direction, then yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not going to come out and see this because, hey, CNN can sit back and sanitize the story or completely bury it and make sure that it never sees the light of the day again. But when other press comes out and starts to talk about this here, they're going to have a much harder time covering it up when the Daily Ignoramus and the Generational Gap and the Matt and Blonde show and Louder with Crowder even all come out and start looking and paying attention to this. So, yes, they are completely gagged at this point because, hey, they've got to keep this story buried as hard as they can, and they're failing at it miserably. All right, let's see here. I've got one here from my neck of the woods once again here. This is from my representative, who I'm usually not very impressed with, but I call balls and strikes, and when he does good, I'll tell him he's doing good. Um, tax, uh, Brian Style tweets out, Taxpayer-funded checks shouldn't go to federal prisoners currently incarcerated. The Pelosi payoff sends taxpayer money to criminals behind bars. I introduced a bill to prevent prisoners from receiving the $1,400 government check. Spoiler alert, this goes fucking nowhere. But good on him for trying, at least. Uh, let's read the statement here from his personal website. Style introduces bill to prevent federal prisoners from receiving taxpayer-funded checks. Today, Congressman Brian Stile, Wisconsin 01, introduced H.R. 1953, the No Taxpayer Funded Checks for Prisoners Act, preventing federal prisoners currently incarcerated from receiving taxpayer money through Pelosi's payoff, a $1.9 trillion liberal spending wish list that passed both chambers by party lines, votes, and was signed into law last week. Congressman Glenn Grothman, Mike Gallagher, and Scott Perry are co-sponsors of the bill. Read more about Stile's bill in the Daily Caller because nobody else is going to touch the fucking thing. The American people deserve to know what's actually included in Speaker Pelosi's $1.9 trillion liberal spending wish list. The text is out there. They can go and fucking read it. I keep getting kicked off Instagram. I wonder if my Wi-Fi just sucks that much. I don't know. We'll see. Regardless of ideology or political party, we should all agree that sending taxpayer-funded checks to prisoners has nothing to do with coronavirus relief. Prisoners currently incarcerated are not concerned about covering rent or losing their job due to COVID. However, the Pelosi payoff, congressional Democrats supported sending millions of taxpayer dollars to prisoners serving sentences for committing horrific crimes. Sending money to prisoners isn't COVID relief, and it does not help people truly struggling to make ends meet. My bill, the No Taxpayer-Funded Checks for Prisoners Act, reverses Speaker Pelosi's terrible policy and prevents federal prisoners from receiving a government check, said Style. Handing out taxpayer money to Wisconsin prisoners to spend at their will is completely irresponsible and asinine. The responsible and right thing to do is give the taxpayer money as restitution to the victims of their crimes or apply it towards the court costs, said Racine County Sheriff's Chris Schmalling. So basically make the state richer is what happens with there. I... I am in favor of the restitution side of that. I actually am. If it goes out to the victims, I'm okay. But, you know, of course, if it's going to get filtered to the government, hey, we have $1,400 to give to the victim of this crime. Oh, well, it's too bad there's a $1,399 processing fee. 
The federal government's generosity has gone too far when inmates are in line to receive taxpayer-funded checks, said Kenosha County Sheriff David Beck. So that's what we have from that. And of course, Style will talk to Racine County Sheriff Chris Schmalling in his district and David Beth in his district. And of course, he'll both talk to Vicki McKenna and several other terrestrial radio hosts out of Wisconsin District 2 in Milwaukee. I'm sorry, Madison and District 4 in Milwaukee. But he won't talk to his own constituent here in District 1. Yes, I've reached out to his office a few times to have him on Ed's World. And I get no response any time. But that's what we see here. That's why I'm not that impressed with him. But good on him for this, at least. Like I said, dead on arrival. I can tell you that right off the bat. But at least the news is out there and covering the fact that it happened. All right, we got uh, just a few more here to do, and then we'll do a thing that I like and a thing that I hate and head on out of here. Thing I like and thing I hate are both uh, tweets, by the way, today. This almost was thing that I like, because I love to see this here. Uh, from the Hill, 21 states sue Biden for revoking Keystone XL permit. From Rachel Frazen. A coalition of states with Republican attorneys general sued President Biden on Wednesday over his decision to revoke key... key Come on, man. I'm, I'm, I, I just had a childhood stutter, okay? I'm, I'm not in cognitive decline or anything. Let's try this again. A coalition of states with Republican attorneys general sued President Biden on Wednesday over his decision to revoke a key permit for the Keystone XL oil pipeline. The lawsuit from 21 states led by Texas and Montana argues that revoking the cross-border permit is a regulation of interstate and international commerce and should be left to Congress, and that Biden's move was an overreach. Yeah, probably. Unfortunately, you have a Congress that'll do the same fucking thing right now. The Republican attorneys general also argued that the decision was arbitrary and capricious. That's going to be the word of the day, capricious. Some of the states represented in the lawsuit have Democratic governors, including Kentucky and Kansas, though all of them have Republican attorneys general. Cabinet defendants' actions have the possibility of depriving states and local governments of millions of dollars in revenue, yet far from providing a recent explanation for why they are taking their actions, they have not provided any reason at all to suit states. Republicans have long complained that Biden's move on his first day in office to revoke the permit for the U.S.-Canada pipeline while environmentalists cheered him on. In a statement in the lawsuit, Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen called Biden's cancellation of the permit an empty virtue signal to the wealthy coastal elite donors. Not to mention the fact that it jacked the gas prices, which means that people are driving less, which, oh, look, we've got another liberal wish list, and... For whatever reason, the hill reloaded the page, and we're back to the top. Let's see if I can find my place again. The power to regulate foreign and interstate commerce belongs to Congress, not the President. This is another example of Joe Biden overstepping his constitutional role to the detriment of Montanans, he added. Well, I will issue an amendment to Austin Knudsen, because Joe Biden himself did not necessarily extend or step his constitutional role. Several members of the executive branch in deeply entrenched bureaus wrote up an executive order that overstepped the executive branch's 
congressionally and constitutionally advised rule and put it in front of Joe Biden and said, here, Grandpa, here, here's your pen. Just sign this here. No, no, this is this is absolutely an executive uh, order that saves puppies. Just just sign it. Don't ask questions. <clears throat> so, and absolutely, they should be doing this here because this is also taking thousands upon thousands of jobs out of these states. Not to mention jacking the gas prices and jacking the price of everything else. They absolutely should be doing this because this comes to a fiscal detriment to their states. They're losing out massive amounts of revenue off of this shit. So absolutely they should be. Absolutely they should be suing the Biden administration for it. All right, let's keep going. One second here. Sorry about that. All right, from the New York Post. I enjoyed this one very much as well. So much stuff that almost made the thing that I like. Climate czar John Kerry caught going maskless on a flight. From Stephen Nelson and Tamar Lapine. There he is. President Biden's climate czar, John Kerry. John Kerry. Sparked outrage Wednesday when he was reportedly spotted going maskless on American Airlines flight to Washington, D.C. The Tennessee Star, a conservative news website, published a photo of a bare-faced carry apparently flying first class from Boston to D.C. on Wednesday. The airline requires all passengers wear masks on board in accordance with directives from CDC and TSA and Biden's January 21st executive order mandating face coverings during interstate travel. In a statement, the airline said they were in the process of reaching to carry to remind him of the policy. No, they weren't. The crew did not observe Secretary Kerry without a mask. They were not alerted by other customers. To a non-compliance issue, we continue to review the matter, and we are reaching out to Secretary Kerry to underscore that all customers are expected to wear masks on the duration of the trip, a spokesperson said. That doesn't fucking matter. What matters is, is that Kerry believes that he and the administration around him Believe that they can tell you what it is that you have to do and that he doesn't have to follow the fucking rules. I don't give a fuck if a private business decides they do or do not want to enforce the mask mandate. I could give less than a damn about American Airlines and TSA and anything else to go along with this. I could give a damn what American Airlines has to say about this. The fact of the matter is, is that John Kerry will sit there and tell you how evil a human being you are. If you don't put on that, if you don't put on five fucking masks every time you walk out of your house. And then here this fucking hypocrite sits. That's what I care about. I don't give a damn if American Airlines enforce this or not. This is a rules for thee, but not for me kind of situation. That's what I care about. All right, let's do a couple more here. From WBCK 95.3 News Talk. Judge determined Secretary of State Benson violated the state's Administrative Procedures Act on absentee voter signatures. This apparently is from R-E-N-K. I don't know who that is. 
this news is certainly being kept under the cover. The media is certainly not the, uh, on the Democratic Party's side, right? I would have never known this occurred if I had not seen the press release from the state representative Matt Hall's office. It started when the Allegan County Clerk Register of Deeds, Bob Konetsky, with the Republican Party sued Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson in her official capacity and Jonathan Brader, Director of Elections, in his official capacity. They sued her because they believed she violated Michigan's Administrative Procedures Act when she solely decided the voter ballot signature matching guidelines prior to the 2020 election. As the court document stated, Jocelyn Benson issued what defendants refer to as guidance for local clerks who are charged with inspecting signatures on absentee voter ballot applications and ballots. This document, which was entitled Absentee Voter Ballot Processing, Signature Verification, and Voter Notification Standards, this guidance regarding signature verification forms the heart of the issue in the present case and it requires additional examination. The stated purpose at the issue document was to provide standards for reviewing signatures, verifying signatures, and curing missing or mismatched uh, signatures under a heading entitled Procedural, I'm sorry, Procedures for Signature Verifications. The document stated that signature review begins with the presumption that the signature on an absent voter ballot application or envelope is valid. You should read the ruling because it explains how the Secretary of State Benson watered down the signature verification requirements so much and if someone had looked at the letter I in their name and it somewhat looked like there may or may not have been an I in their signature, you were supposed to approve it. It was actually heartbreaking to see what Benson did. What she did was tantamount to invite and enable illegal votes to be cast. For example, the document issued by Benson stated, Signatures should be considered questionable, the guidance explained, only if they differ in multiple significant and obvious respects from the signature on file. Emphasis in original. Whether, uh, whenever possible, election officials were to resolve slight dissimilarities in favor of finding that the voter's signature was valid. How did the judge rule? Well, since you're hearing nothing about this in the news, you probably already guessed. Michigan Court of Claims Judge Christopher Murray ruled. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson violated Michigan's Administrative Procedures Act because the guidance issued by the Secretary of State on October 6, 2020 with respect to signatures matching the standards was issued in violation of the Administrative Procedures Act. In a nutshell, SOS Benson violated the uh, State of Michigan's Administrative Procedures Act due to the fact that she set absent voter ballot signature matching guidelines prior to the 2020 election on her own, circumventing the uh, Michigan Administrative Procedures Act. That is a lot of really, really tongue-twistery words. The administrative rule is an uh, agency's written regulation statement, standard policy, ruling, or instruction that has no effect on the law. That's why you're hearing nothing from any other news source out there other than my show and WBCK. Where's the Detroit News, Detroit Free Press, Lansing State Journal, any of the local news stations, from Detroit to Kalamazoo to Grand Rapids and beyond? Nowhere in the story. Wonder why. Interesting enough. Interesting to see that now we're looking into this. And I mean, the city of Green Bay is looking into various election issues. Michigan is. Georgia's trying to firm up their elections. And we see the recalls and everything else, too. This. Well, I'm going to say what I have to say because I'm on YouTube right now. There's a. There's nothing bad that happened in this election. Everything was completely above board. 
and this was the safest and most secure election in the history of mankind. Honk. All right. Last one I have here on news comes from Reuters. Morgan Stanley becomes the first major U.S. bank to offer clients access to Bitcoin funds. CNBC. From Reuters staff. Morgan Stanley has become the first big U.S. bank to offer its wealth management clients access to Bitcoin funds, CNBC reported on Wednesday. In an internal memo, the bank told its financial advisors it would launch access to three funds allowing ownership of Bitcoin, CNBC reported, citing people with direct knowledge of the matter. The decision was taken after the bank's clients demanded exposure to the cryptocurrency, according to the report. Morgan Stanley did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for a comment. Bitcoin surged to a record high of 61,781.83 on Saturday, but it has since fallen as investors consolidated gains and on news of plans by India to ban cryptocurrencies. And then Cash App started giving it back out and it started coming the fuck back up. The cryptocurrency has been gaining mainstream acceptance lately with Elon Musk's Tesla Incorporated and Square Incorporated betting on it. Last month, Bank of New York Mellon Corp formed a new unit to help clients hold, transfer, and issue digital assets. Access to the funds will only be allowed to people who have at least $2 million in assets held by the bank. Investment firms with at least $5 million in the bank will also be eligible in both cases. The accounts have to be at least six months old, according to the report. So the rich people are getting into Bitcoin right now, which means it's either going to fall flat, become mainstream, replace the U.S. currency, or just completely go away. So watch your Bitcoin. If you have some Bitcoin, watch it. I do. I'm going to open a crypto wallet and open it up for donations. Just in case you guys have it and you want to give a little bit here. I do owe Chilaga an email too, by the way, because I promised that for $5 tier on the subscribe star and I still haven't written it yet this month, but, uh, yeah, I, I have no problem with Bitcoin or any other crypto at this point. Because there's enough backup sitting there that unless they EMP the entire country all at once, it's still going to be there. I'm not going to bet the farm on it. I'm not going to put every ounce of money that I have and starve myself and my family because I invested in Bitcoin. But I'll throw a little bit of cash at it here and there. I have no problem with that. And it looks like there's going to be enough wealth into this at this point that it's going to be held up anyway. So something to watch here. Um, we'll see what happens with this in the incredible Bitcoin saga that never ends. All right. And that's going to be it for the news today. And the last thing that we do on a Thursday is a thing that I like and a thing that I hate. So a thing that I like today, coming from the Washington Examiner's official Twitter account, Ron DeSantis has decided that uh, he's decided to talk about CRT and what happens in his schools. And the little Federalist inside my, inside my heart is so happy to hear this because it's time to start giving a finger to the Federal Department of Education. We should have done this under DeVos. Hell, if Trump is going to be the populist that he says he was, he, just, he should have just eliminated that entire department completely. There's no reason to have a federal department of uh, education. There's no reason for that. That should all be done on a state level. That should be done on a local level because 
The localities know what they need for their students, what they need to improve, what they don't need to improve. And the federal government fucks up everything. But let's hear what Ron DeSantis has to say here. Florida Civics curriculum will incorporate foundational concepts with the best materials, and it will expressly exclude unsanctioned narratives like critical race theory and other unsubstantiated theories. Let me be clear, there's no room uh, in our classrooms for things like critical race theory. Teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent of taxpayer money. So we will invest in actual, solid, true curriculum, and we will be a leader in the development and, in, and implementation of a world-class civics education. Florida civics curriculum will incorporate foundational concepts with the best. All right, so that's what we see from that. And I mean, absolutely. My thoughts on CRT aside, because it should be. I mean, if the local PS 198 or wherever the fuck it is in New York wants to teach CRT, that's between them and the taxpayers in their particular district in New York. If some place in the middle of nowhere, Montana, doesn't want to teach that, that's between them and their taxpayers in the middle of nowhere, Montana. And the people are going to move around. They're going to take their tax dollars to places that more align with their views. That's how it's always been. That's, that's what makes me federalist right there. The fact that I believe that people have the choice and that one of the best ways to vote is to use your consumer power and go out and seek out a better life for yourself in a different area that more aligns closely with your views. That's why we have the United States structured the way that was instead of a single top-down country. Yes, I'm against CRT, but I'm not against if a certain district wants to teach it and their taxpayers are okay with it. So that's what we're seeing up out of Florida, and I like that. I like that Florida's taking charge and coming out and saying, okay, it's time. It's time for us to teach what the Floridian people want us to teach their kids, not what the Washington, D.C. people want us to teach our kids. So I'm very, very happy about that. And now for a thing that I hate. Also a tweet at this point here. From the official Activision Blizzard Twitter account. Hashtag stop Asian hate. Hashtag stop AAPI hate. At Activision Blizzard, we condemn racism in the strongest possible terms. Our mission to connect and engage the world through epic entertainment cannot be accomplished without diverse voices, views, backgrounds, and perspectives. Members of many communities work side by side to deliver our experiences and content to players, leagues, fans, and partners. We actively work to dispel hate and intolerance by creating a wide array of diverse characters in our game and creating a safe and inclusive environment for our players today and every day. We stand with the Asian community and look to do our part to stop Asian hate and stop AAPI hate, which I guess I don't know what AAPI is. Which is all well and good. You'd expect them to come out and do something like this, but what gets me about this one especially is the fact that, yes, they're coming out and saying this now. But they had nothing to say. In fact, they were 
actually actively against Hong Kong, who are Asian people, by the way. Hong Kong expressing their freedom from China. The fact that China is oppressing Hong Kong. That, that they're actively in favor of China going over and taking over Hong Kong and Taiwan. In fact, they took that kid's uh, they took that kid's winnings away. They believe they eventually did give it back, but they took that kid's winnings away because he expressed support for Hong Kong. So no, this the reason that I hate this, and I love Blizzard. I love Blizzard games, but I'm not spending any money with them at this point because they're going to continue to do shit like this. Now I did crack and I started to play StarCraft Two and Diablo Three over this past week, but I did not buy anything new for the games. I spent the money on those games. I'm going to fuck, well, correction, Diablo 3 was a gift from my ex-girlfriend, but uh, the money was spent on those games already, and I can't get that money back from Blizzard. I can't take that money away from Blizzard. So given the fact that the money was spent on there, yes, I feel obligated to utilize and get my money's worth back out of them, or my ex-girlfriend's money back out of them. I feel obligated to do that, but they are not getting one more red cent from me over the fact that they can pick and choose what's going to make them seem the best. And I feel sorry for all these Call of Duty kids, too, because of the fact that they'll come out and... I mean, Activision took over Blizzard, and Activision is Call of Duty. But yes, no, I, I hate the fact that they're coming out and doing this, and... You know, given the fact that I knew that they had given the kid his money back and possibly walked some of their Hong Kong stuff back, I said, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll buy something. Because I am looking at that expansion from Diablo 3, and then they pull something like this, I'm like, nope. Just like Burger King, get on your soapbox and you don't get my money. But I will utilize what I've already purchased before they went off and fucked up. And... I like this because Danny on PC is right on there too. Says the company censoring Hong Kong related stuff. And this one here, I mean, I don't give a fuck about this, but they're also trying to come at, I mean, Activision can't, they can't make anybody happy here because the pocket monster comes out and says, this would be a lovely sentiment of Activision if you didn't actively allow people with racially insensitive, uh, insensitive rather, and outright offensive names free reign with no apparent intent to put a stop to the problem. Talking about the people who chat on uh, various online platforms that are platformed by Blizzard, like Battle.net and uh, Call of Duty. So, yep, they're not getting another penny off of me as well. That's it. That's the end of it. And that's going to be it for the day. So, thank you guys. Let's get some music up here. Get the scene changed. And head on out of here for the day. Say hi to my producer over there. i got to remember to widen back out the uh, screen so you guys can see the producer while I'm reading news, too. So, thanks everybody who came by and chatted. If you are just lurking right now, get those last-minute messages in right now. So, I can remember to thank you. Tomorrow, we get the names of everybody who chatted through the week. Red on air live with a special thank you for once again holding the show up. So always looking forward to that here. And remember, come back and hang out with us on April 17th as I just bopped the microphone and you guys probably got a blast in your ear from it. But come back and hang out with uh, with me and a bunch of my friends over on April 17th as we sit down and talk about uh, suicide prevention. 
and probably a whole bunch of other stuff too. I do want to get a debate going at some point here. I've got one person who is possibly interested in it, but uh, I want to see what the topic can be and if we can stay away from news if we can. I don't know if it's going to happen with the guest list of who's coming up here, but definitely looking forward to seeing if we can do that as well. But we will see you then on April 17th, or we'll see you here tomorrow for Contemporary because there's going to be more stuff that happens throughout the day, I guarantee you that. And even if there isn't, even if they just shut down the news media, I still have to come back here and thank everybody who chatted in the live chat throughout the week as well. So make sure you're here tomorrow for that, and make sure that if you're lurking, you get those last-minute messages in. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Take care.